Can you tell me, Mama? The curse was a curse of blood. You should have told me, Mama. You should have told me. Oh, Lord. Help the silly woman see the sin of her days and ways. Everyone in bad, Mama. Everything in the sin. After the blood come the boys. Like sniffing dogs. Sit down. Be quiet. Satan's power. It's nothing to do with Satan, Mama. It's me. Me. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. Please see that I'm not like you, Mama. I'm funny. I mean, all the kids think I'm funny. I don't want to be. I want to be normal. I want to start to try and be a whole person before it's too late for me to... I've been invited to the prom. Prom? Yeah, the senior prom, you know. Everybody's going... He's going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got the winners. I give you Tommy Ross and Carrie White. This was the first movie in my entire lifetime at the tender age of 14 years old that made me jump out of my chair. Um, it, it disturbed me. It frightened me. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't go to sleep. But it was that last, very, very last moment where you think it's all over and it's all done and that damn hand comes out of the grave. That made me jump out of my chair. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your host, and that was Renna Owen talking about Brian De Palma's 1976 Stephen King adaptation, Carrie. Ms. Owen is an international award-winning actor and is one of only six actors in the world to have worked with both George Lucas and Steven Spielberg during her illustrious career that spans three decades. And I think it's worth noting that her lead performance in the New Zealand film Once Were Warriors is one of the greatest ever committed to film. It's an incredible film, incredible performance. I would recommend that anyone watch that movie if they haven't gotten around to it yet. In addition, she can be seen in the horror thriller Without a Body, which I'm hoping we can chat a bit about later on in the show, if that would be okay. Anyway, Ms. Owen, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure to be here. All right. Now, if I can ask, as with every show, uh, you know, out of any horror movie you might have chosen to discuss, why hone in on Carrie specifically? Because that was the first movie that made me jump out of my chair. It just, I, I look... It was a date movie. So here's my advice to, to guys out there. You know, it's not necessarily the best date movie because I had no idea what I was in for. And, of course, I, I sat there stunned. I'll never forget the scene where she makes the guy pull off the bike. And then, you know, because I was in high school at the time, so I was a tender young teenager. And then when all the pig blood pig's blood is kind of, you know, thrown over her, 
and all that horrible bullying that, that went on, but it was that last moment. And the guy I had gone on a date with, and he took me to this movie, he kind of nudged me and he gave me a bit of a warning. He said, it isn't over yet. And I still, though, even though he told me something was going to happen, when that hand came up out of the grave, I just screamed. <laughs> okay, now that, now that seems a bit unfair. Had he already seen the movie before you? Was he, he already had. prepared? He had. So I think he got great joy of watching me squirm and, you know, in my chair. And But it was that moment at the graveyard, that moment, just I screamed and I literally jumped uh, <laughs> because I just did not expect it. And that is fantastic horror. And, um, you know, the most recent kind of film that I watched that kind of comes into that category amongst a few others was Get Out. And I just thought that that was so extraordinarily and it, I actually thought it was quite a work of genius it was so clever and uh seven is another all-time kind of favorite of mine that's kind of the horror f thriller genre but Carrie when you're you're young you know it's those ones that hit you when you're young uh, that you never forget and I think that's why I chose Carrie uh, it's a great choice. And for listeners out there, if I can take a moment, I should probably uh, warn. I'm sitting in Florida right now, and it sounds like my apartment is about to come down around me because of the thunderstorm outside. So I apologize if there are any audio issues. But on the other hand, I mean, this is kind of the perfect setting for a talk about horror movies. So, Absolutely. You know, it's a very dark and stormy atmospheric. Night. <laughs> very, I can hear the rain, and it's absolutely it's so totally in sync with horror. <laughs> now, you mentioned Carrie, you mentioned Get Out, you mentioned Seven. Would you say overall that you're a horror fan, or is it a genre that you don't really connect to that often? Or what, what is your feeling on the genre as a whole? It's, it's not a genre I'll race out to see, so it's not top of my list. But if there's word of mouth and people keep saying, hey, this is a must-see film, it was a bit like Parasite. Um, you know, everyone kept saying, you've got to see this movie, you've got to see this movie. It wasn't really a film I would, I personally wanted to see, but every, because everyone liked Get Out, kept saying, you have to see it. It's really clever. You have to see it. I will then go out and see horror. But no, horror isn't really, as I say, top of my list in terms of these are the kind of films I will just go out any day of the week to see. Um, I, I tend to go out for the dramas, the sci-fis, the, you know, the Star Wars, the Godfathers. Um, horror is kind of down on my list. But if you, you get a film that kind of crosses genres like Get Out did and Seven did and Carrie did, as well, to a certain degree, in terms of it being a human drama with that horror element. Uh, those are the films that become very memorable. The other one, of course, was the Jack Nicholson, uh, The Shining. I never forgot The Shining. And I t say this often when I do interviews. When you think about the movies that you don't forget, it's because they really affected you on a very, very deep level. Because I think all of us in this industry see thousands of movies, but we don't remember every movie we see. It's the ones that really kind of give us a kick in the gut or really touch our hearts. And we go, God, I remember that movie. I remember The Shining. I remember One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, when and where I saw it. Those kind of movies are standouts for me. And I got to admit, I, I am a, I'm, you know, obviously hosting a podcast about horror movies. I would have to be kind of a horror nerd, you know, uh, admittedly. But, you know, I, I will say that I love it when 
horror films do cross into the mainstream a bit, and they do become memorable because, you know, it's that moment that I feel like I can share my favorite genre with, you know, everyone else in a way, you know. Um, absolutely, absolutely, and that's why we who we go and see those movies because they do cross over, and if people are going, you got to see. I I remember going to to see Seven with my brother. And I remember saying to him, I said, God, this better not be a piece of crap because I, <laughs> not, I do not put myself through. I don't like giving myself a heart attack and jumping out of my chair, but I'll do it for a really good movie. And he, he assured me, he said, look, it's not it's not a piece of Hollywood crap. It's, it's a good movie. So I went in and I literally stayed on the, the edge of my seat in that film. And it was so clever. And so well done. And and like you, I love a movie when it crosses over and it ticks all the boxes and it's got some romance and it's got the horror and it's got the action and it's got the drama. It's That's what makes a film great when it ticks all the boxes. Absolutely. And, I, and Carrie is a great choice too because, you know, much like Get Out, much like Seven, you know, it is a movie, it seems like one of those watershed movies where, you know, it really sort of is born of its time and, you know, it is the movie that everyone talks about, at least of that sort. You know, we don't get those often, you know, in the last no, decade. No, you don't, you don't. And it's, you know, when I think of Sissy Spacek, it'll always be Carrie. People say to me, you know, do you get a bit annoyed that you, you always have to talk about Once for Warriors? And I go, no, that's <laughs> the price of having a hit. And and it's better to have a have a hit than than not be known in anything. But I think John Travolta. I think Saturday Night Fever. I think Sissy Spacek. I think Carrie. It's that movie that launches you that becomes a cult classic. Those are the films we we just never forget, and we will. You know, as I say, it's a blessing. It's a blessing as an actor because there's a lot of actors out there that give their lives to the craft and the, their lives to the industry and they never have that breakout role um so it's a it's a blessing and a privilege to have been in something that did break out because it led me to steven spielberg and, and george lucas and um you know i'm very lucky you know it is funny that you mentioned that that is something i've always been curious about and i don't think i've ever been able to have a conversation with somebody uh, you know, about this specifically, at least somebody in the industry. And, you know, it, 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 I've always been curious about that, you know, because there are certainly actors who view, you know, uh, iconic roles as a bit of a curse. And yet I've always wondered, like, you know, why, you know, I, I, I imagine so many actors chase after that blessing. So many actors chase after having that one iconic role. And yet after having, you know, done it you know if you're lucky enough to have that one role. you know i'm thinking of somebody like and i'm not knocking the man I'm, I'm a huge fan psycho is one of my favorite movies ever but i'm thinking of somebody like anthony perkins and you know obviously he was kind of typecast in his later years it seems you know whenever people thought of anthony perkins they thought of norman bates and yet you know I, I can see how that was likely a bit annoying and yet you know if he had never had that role would he have always been chasing after it that's exactly more? right that's exactly right and 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 of course it was remiss of me not to also put psycho in my top 5 list because that's another film of course it's unforgettable and and it's a bit like recently I was reading an interview with Jennifer Anderson and she said the same thing she said she could never shake off Rachel from Friends, you know, that everyone will always look to her as Rachel from Friends. But it, it's enabled, as she said, rightfully said, and as I say it, it enabled a career. And by God, it's a blessing to be a working actor because 97% 
of our population of actors are always out of work or, or are unemployed. So if you're working as a result of being Rachel and Friends or as a result of being Beth and Once We're Warriors or Anthony Perkins and Psycho, we're blessed because it opened the door. You found a, a place in people's minds or, or possibly in their hearts. You made a difference and you did something that was memorable. And, and that is... Um, it's. I think it's a privileged position. You know, it does at the time you get annoyed with it, irritated with it, and then as you get older, you you look back and you go, "Wow, what a," you know. I had no idea really. Looking back now on on have, literally working with George Lucas on Star Wars Episode Two, and then coming back to LA and going straight into AI with Steven Spielberg, and, you know, I look back now and see the ginormity of that. Whereas at the time, it's just like, okay, you're working back-to-back -back jobs. But, you know, in hindsight, and you go, wow, how, how blessed, how lucky I was to have had those experiences. It also opens the door to all of us actors who make our mark in a film or a TV show or a musical, whatever it is, that it opens the door to to these opportunities that take you around the world, the opportunities to work with some of the most amazing people in the world. World, like you know, I work with Seth MacFarlane on the Orville. He's another genius. He's in a very similar realm to the Spielbergs and the Lucases, where he is. He's a visionary, and that guy is so goddamn clever. And if you look at his shows, you know. All of these great genius filmmakers, a bit like Get Out to a certain degree as well, they're entertainment on the top level. They they entertain you, but there's a social commentary underneath. There's a the belly is social commentary, but it's delivered in a way that people digest it a lot easier because it's delivered in entertainment. And if you look at the Orville, that's what Seth MacFarlane's really good at. He does it in The Family Guy. You know, George Lucas did it in, right back, if you look at Star Wars, it, you, you look at the 101 ingredients of that movie and the key to its success, it was the good old-fashioned Bible story of good versus evil. You know, these are things that continue to resonate with the human condition, and I think that's what I do appreciate about the horror genre and those of us, you know, who do, do like the is it. it, it dares to kind of tap into people's fears and insecurities and paranoias. I mean, God, Parasite. Par I, I, don't, I still don't actually know if I like Parasite. <laughs> <laughs> it was so over the top. But, you know, it, 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 I got the moral of the story, you know, but it was so over the top and, you know, and it was outrageous and it was bold and it was different. I, I didn't expect it, though, to, to win Best Film, but it did. And but get out, you know, because it took me a while to see that because I was just on the road traveling a lot and everyone just kept saying, oh, you've got to watch it. And when I finally watched it and I watched it on a plane and I was so blown away by it, I watched it again. So I only ever watch really, really good movies twice, but I had to watch it again um, because it was just it was so good. And it's. I think that's the genius of horror is it seeps in. It's not necessarily in your face like some spoof spoof horrors like Peter Jackson did in his early 
early career, you know, meet the Feebles, and, and that's what launched him until he'd done his Heavenly Creatures, which had a horror element to it, but had the drama, you know, it crossed over, and that's what got him out into the world and around the film festivals the same year as Once Were Warriors. Um, and so, yeah, when you get those kind of movies, uh, Mystery, Mystery was another one that kind of made me jump, you know, Kathy Bates. Um when they cross over, that you you don't forget those films. What is it about Carrie? Do you think sort of underneath the surface that resonates for you? What what beyond the sort of basic setup and story uh, sort of seeps in for you? Yeah, I, I think for me, possibly a lot of other creatives in the world. You know, we we tended to be the kids that got bullied. We were the kids that kind of grew up knowing we were different, feeling we were different, and being told we were different. We didn't quite fit in. We were hypersensitive, or we were, you know, a lot of creatives are empaths. And that kind of hypersensitivity in childhood isn't always easy, especially if you're not surrounded by uh, a community that understands the artistic type. And, um, and you know, so you often feel like you're misunderstood. And I, I certainly felt that. I felt sorry for Carrie because I was one of those kids that got bullied. And, you know, she was being bullied. She was being rejected. And, and they humiliated her. And so, I, you know, I, I felt her pain. And I was very young. You know, I was only 14 going on a 15. But I still could sympathize with her. And then, of course, her mother wasn't very nice. Her mother was, you know, OTT when it came to the religion. And uh, we were brought up Catholics and, and, you know, didn't go through that kind of extreme thing that Carrie's mother was doing. But, you know, I could also see how religion could get very warped. And and also just the high that whole high school, they captured the high school life very well, where you had the beautiful girl you know the prom queen the prom king you know you had your your kind of identifiable players in, in any given high school around the world we all relate to that you know the the principal or the head you know it just it had its formula and it's had its it, it had its characters that yeah. just resonated to everyone no matter what country you were in you know i carrie is a fascinating character for me because you know, she starts out as a sort of very meek character. She's kind, but she's bullied, you know, both at school and at home, as you yeah. noted. And, you know, it, there is never a safe haven for Carrie. But as the story progresses, it seems like, you know, Carrie comes out of her shell and she gains some measure of confidence and she divides her mother. She goes to the prom. She does her very best to break out of the role that it seems like the universe has, you know, sort of already written for her. But, you know, what's even more fascinating for me is by the end, I mean, she comes right back around to where, you know, her bullies in a way, you know, even though they ultimately lose their lives, I mean, they do break her in a way. And she goes back to her mother crying and very nearly asking forgiveness for ever having defied her. You know, she she points out that the kids did, in fact, laugh at her much as her mother had said they would. And her mother kills her for it, or at least very nearly does. And it makes Carrie even more sad to me because her arc is eventually, I mean, it's kind of more of a full circle for all of her powers. She winds up back in that house crying, you know, yeah. to her mother, you know, and crying because of the bully, sobbing to her abusive mother. But, you know, in her final moments, she does also fight back. She manages to kill her mother. She takes the house down on them with both of them in it. But, you know, just 
what was your reading of it? I mean, was Carrie able to fully, I don't know, emancipate herself in her final moments, do you think? Even though it's surely tragic, do you think her ending is more triumphant? Or do you think she was uh, sort of just utterly defeated by her circumstances? Well, it, it was, uh, yeah, when you looked at her choices, I mean, she just wiped out her school. You know, she just really, in black and white, she just murdered a whole lot of people. Um, so, you know, what was, what, where was her future? She really didn't have a future. Um, I mean, we saw the kind of, the, the uh, telegraph of it when she was so angry and she looked at the kid and made him fall off his bicycle. And that's <laughs> when we saw her power. I never forget that because it made me jump and I went, oh God, don't mess with Carrie. And that was the thing, like you say, she started off very meek, you know, and shy and awkward. And but she circumstances forced her to come out of her shell. And then when she full on used that power and she had no intention of doing that. That was the tragedy. Is you know, she'd made the prom and she was having her moment on that stage and that took every fibre in her being to be able to go to prom, defy her mother and stand up there in front of everyone. And then they did the most horrific thing to her. And you could almost say on one hand that she was justified with what she did, but when it comes to black and white law, she caused the death of a lot of people. So no one, she kind of, I think, in a lot of ways, she knew that no one would sympathize with her. And that really her future would it would either be she'd be thrown into a loony bin or into into a prison. And so I think it was a mercy killing in a lot of ways for her and her mother. It was like it was just gonna just take us both out of here. And I, I think you know, if she hadn't have done that, would it, would she have looked at her options? I think she did it when she was in a moment of the most immense and intense pain as a human being and I think she just couldn't take any more and um, you know and I think uh, for a lot of people who end up committing suicide they, they just get to that moment of absolute sheer hopelessness and they don't feel there's any hope for them and that that's kind of the only option they have and that's the option she chose um, yeah it's a, it's a tragedy yeah, it's a tragedy, but it's 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 also what makes the film so damn good is when her hand comes up out of that grave. <laughs> um, and and also too though the fact that her the the journey, the school prom princess I can't remember the character's name, but the journey they went on and coming around and realizing, you know, the wrong that was done to Carrie, and the regret and the remorse. And, um, you know, and that's, I think, what resonated with all of us is because that's so human and it's so teenagery. You know, we all go through those things as teenagers because it's such an awkward, it's a, it's a phase in my lifetime I would never want to repeat. You know, you're so awkward, you're insecure, you're suddenly self-conscious. It's a, it's a horrible time, um, that transition. And, um I think that's why it did so well because I think every teenager identified with it to one degree or another. You know, speaking of that character too, um, is it um, oh, uh, Sue Snell, who is the uh, you know the one to sort of spur on the bullying 
in the uh, the shower, and yet she, you know, she's not the really terrible one. She's not involved in the pig's blood. You know, she's the one who sort of has a change of heart and kind of in a weird way offers up her boyfriend, you know, as a prom date, and she tries to sort of atone for her, you know, for a sin. Essentially, yeah. she even she even doesn't, you know, go to prom as a result. She lets her boyfriend go with Carrie in her place, and yet, you know, there is that feeling at the ending. After everything she's been through, of course, she's going to have nightmares. But, you know, the feeling that I got at the end of the movie was that, you know, she's probably going to be haunted by her role in everything until, you know, if not for years, then possibly even, you know, maybe to the the end of her days. And I'm wondering, like, do you think even for her attempting to atone for what she did, do you think there's a kind of justice in that ending? Or do you think she deserved the... Uh, she deserved peace, even though she had sort of, you know, spurred on the bullying to begin with. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, it was the easier of the outcomes to live with. Because I think you'd be, well, if I was that character, I'd be afraid if Carrie was still alive somewhere. I don't know if I could sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, you know, even though she had tried to do the right thing, it didn't work. And there would always be that question of like, oh, God, what's going to happen if she gets out of prison or she gets out of a psychiatric hospital? What's going to happen? What's going to become of me? Can she still use her powers on me? So I think that that was the, the, the right ending and the easier ending for her. It's like she will, she'll never forget it. And I hate to say this, but as we're talking about these, I'm reminded of what we've seen a lot of in the last decade is school shootings. Yeah. You know, and it reminds me of that. These these young people, these young teenagers, and you've we've seen it time at once too many times here in America. We've seen it many times, and they're traumatized by it, and they will never ever forget it, and they will be forever changed. Um, so it's it's a it's a form of that kind of trauma that people will never forget. Um, and you know it's a it's it's a similar thing that seems to come up with the the person who's committed the crime that they've all they felt out of place they felt they were bullied they were wrong they were it's just it's like i remember hearing this one time in an acting class where they said it's rage against the world it's like a big f u towards the world because they feel so powerless and so persecuted and they have to take this drastic action um so really great psychology and and carry in terms of what creates that situation and i think it's the same human circumstances that creates similar behavior in in in, in modern day when people take actions that uh, kill a lot of people you know, it is funny. I don't think I'd ever considered, you know, uh, going back to Sue Snell, what you had mentioned, the possibility that, you know, if Carrie had been alive, what would Sue have thought of that? I, that's a fascinating setup for a story. The, the idea of, you know, what if you had made a god angry? <laughs> you know, like, what would, yeah. what would that look like? But I also, I, I think you're right, too. And I don't think I'd ever equated Carrie White to, say, a modern day school shooter. And yet, you know, it, it is interesting that, you know, thinking all the way back to Columbine, back before it seemed like school shootings were, you know, we, we'd become numb to them because they were so, uh, you know, so uh, yeah. 
Commonplace. commonplace. It's yeah. just crazy. I remember I was a, a senior in high school when Columbine happened. I was a month wow. out from graduation. And, you know, that school shooting, it seemed like the world was ending. It seemed like yeah. that was all that anybody wanted to talk about. And I remember, you know, certainly, and I'm not, I, I, I don't want people to think that I'm a good God excusing it in any way. But, you know, when, when you look at some of the school shooters, certainly a school shooting, you know, when you're when folks are just opening fire, this is such a grim subject to talk about, even though this is a horror show, but I, I think it's proper with, you know, given the movie, but, you know, surely it's an act of cowardice. And, but I think there is a, a continual painting sometimes, like, you know, looking at Columbine, say, where the shooters were teenage boys who were purportedly bullied. If you look at the most recent film, The Joker, it's a very similar scenario. You know, what the Joker that character goes through in his lifetime and all that humiliation and then the monster that is born out of all of that. Uh, you know, similar psychology. And, um, you know, it's unfortunately it'll continue to happen in, in one guise or another because it just, you know, there are people out there that... Uh, can be quite sick or behave in ways that uh, just, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, sometimes it's, it does leave you speechless, but you kind of get a glimpse into the psychology. Well, it's like right back to Robert De Niro and Taxi. Yeah, you know, that whole psychology of that character, what, turned, what, what flipped the switch in him? And we all know what flipped the switch in Carrie was the pig's blood. And once it got switched on, there was no stopping it. Yeah, and surely, I mean, you know, too, with everything that leads up to that moment, surely her contemporaries are, you know, somewhat to blame, you know, the, the bullies. But at the same time, they're kids, too. But, you know, I to me, it almost... <laughs> The bulk of the blame, I think, almost lies with Piper Laurie's character. And if I can be honest, like, one of the issues... I had had when I was a kid, and I had a few. Uh, I don't know if we'll get around to talking to them, but I would like to. But, you know, I, I have a couple of issues with uh, the movie, and one of them had always been with Piper Laurie's performance as uh, Mrs. White. You know, it always struck me, at least it had struck me, as a bit comic, a bit too over the top, and it always served to kind of take me out of the film a bit. But i got to say, you know, after revisiting the movie for this chat, yeah, I mentioned I live in Florida. I've just seen some footage of people in Florida, the state I currently live in, arguing against people wearing masks to protect themselves against COVID because it would mess with God's natural breathing system or something like that. Oh, you know, and I they, saw that. I and saw ranting. That. And, and I'm... Oh, yeah, it's just ranting and raving and raging and bringing up uh, uh, Pizzagate and, you know, all of these crazy things. And... You know, I see footage like that, and I think to myself, you know, Piper Laurie was not that over the top at all, at all, compared to some actual no. people I've seen in the last few years. She is positively yeah. restrained. Yeah, yeah, because I've seen a lot of that footage, and they've been playing a lot of it, because it, it's really gone a little bit out there and a little too far, and they feel that, and one of them was talking about masks being the devil, that you're wearing, if you're wearing a mask, you're wearing the devil, and you've sided with the devil, and I just <laughs> thought, you know, that's, but that's Carrie's mother, that is Carrie's mother, gone a bit nutty and gone a bit too far, and very extreme 
I'm just looking up the film here. I'd totally forgotten that John Travolta was in Carrie. Yes, yes. Very young and very, very horrible. Uh, both he and Karen Allen, who would appear in another Brian De Palma movie not that long after, which I actually, God, I adored, uh, Blowout. If you've ever seen it, it's an That's amazing That's right. Movie. Well, look, a classic filmmaker. I mean, he made some of the best films in the 70s. And I mean, you know, look at the writer, Stephen King. I mean, it's as good, it's as good as it gets really when it came to filmmaking and um you know and this i was a kid on the other side of the world in in new zealand and you know no concept of the actors or the filmmaker or the world of cinema but no doubts the stakes were high here in america because you you had some of the best filmmakers and the best writers at the time doing this movie and and of course it became a huge breakout hit a huge success um yeah and those films stay with you they do stay with you and um and i'm with you i'm surprised they didn't really do a spin-off of what would have happened if carrie you know didn't die and was alive and was in a mental institution somewhere there was a brian fuller the gentleman who would eventually give us the hannibal tv series did write a uh Oh, a Carrie television remake that aired back in 2002 or 2003 starring Angela Bettis as the character. And it's, uh, it's, it's, Angela Bettis is quite good in it. I'll say that about it. Um, and, you know, it's an interesting adaptation, but it does actually, it ends almost as a backdoor pilot for a television series that never happened because that's exactly how it ends. Carrie does not die and she's just sort of like off in the world um, afterwards. And it would have, you know, one assumes if it had been successful or picked up, then we would have gotten the continuing adventures of Carrie. And I, I don't know what that would be like, but, you know, it is it is interesting. It's, it's crazy to think, too, that that novel has now given birth to uh, four different adaptations. We've had, uh, oh, we've had the 76 film. We had the 2002 TV remake. We had the 2013 remake with uh, Chloe Moretz. We even had a sequel called The Rage Carrie 2 that came out in, I want to say it was 98 uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a movie and it's a story definitely that has legs. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's funny, you were mentioning De Palma earlier and I, I wonder if, and I do think he's a brilliant filmmaker and I love a lot of his movies, but, and I hope this isn't too controversial a thing to say, even though deep down, I know that some of my listeners are probably going to take me to task for it. This is kind of like horror movie fan sacrilege that I'm about to start <laughs> delving into, but you know, I, I really appreciate this film. I appreciate its standing as a horror classic. It's undeniably like one of the most recognized horror films. You know, it's surely influential. Yeah. And but I, I, I hope you'll forgive me, forgive me for saying so. And I'm curious to see what, what you think of this. But you know, I, sometimes you know, throughout certain stretches of the movie, like the movie kind of holds me at arm's length, even though, you know, I absolutely adore Sissy Spacek in the movie. I think she's amazing. I think a lot of the actors are quite great in the movie. I think the story is solid. Um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, actually a huge fan of the Stephen King novel, but there's actually something about De Palma's direction that sometimes doesn't sit right with me at all because, you know, going beyond some of the, <laughs> going beyond some of the, the kind of, toy box of camera effects that he uses later on in the movie, like the split diopter shots and the kaleidoscopic shots and the split screen during climax, you know, all of that, which I don't think, you know, sometimes they serve the story and sometimes not, I don't think rather, but you know, they kind of take me out of it. But beyond that, 
with Stephen King, we had a guy in his, I think his 20s, who was writing in part from the perspective of a, you know, a young woman, a teenage girl. And I think he had tried to be sensitive to that, certainly. And I think he's mostly successful in that novel. But with De Palma's direction, it feels, it feels as though the camera at times is kind of like always leering at the young women in kind of a creepy way at times. I mean, there the very second shot of the film is this slow motion tracking shot through a lady's locker room as underage characters walk about sort of fully nude. And, you know, there's the way he shoots Carrie's shower and the way he shoots young women exercising. It feels at times very kind of exploitative, which seems to me to run counter to what the story seems to be about, which, you know, I, I, it seems to me like that the movie is to some degree about the empowerment of a young woman. And I wonder if his direction doesn't fight against that at times, or do you think I'm completely crazy for that? No, you know, it's interesting and it's something I'd probably want to watch it again and then look at it from that perspective. I think it's very, uh, it's very valid train of thought, particularly given kind of, you know, what happened with the me too. And now, all sorts of things, films and TV shows got looked at and redressed from, from that kind of perspective. It's like now, too, with Black Lives Matter, suddenly they're looking at other TV shows or Gone with the Wind, like going, well, actually, that's kind of not okay anymore. And let's face it, when Palmer made the film, it was in the 70s. And the 70s were quite still quite a hippie era. So he probably was doing at the time what was kind of trendy at the time, but now, rightfully so, could be viewed as a bit like that's a little too voyeuristic. But that's certainly something I don't think uh, occurred to me as a a young teenager at the time um, or really occurred to many people. It's just filmmaking styles change, and, and there's certain things that were okay to do in the 70s that aren't okay to do now, 50 years later. God, it's 50, you know, God, almost 50 years later since, <laughs> well, 45 since, Car- or 44 since Carrie came out. My goodness. You know, I'm thinking, too, you know, when you look, you skip a decade ahead, if not more, to Aliens. You know, Signori Weaver Alien. I mean, that was a whole different genre and a different kind of character of a woman. Um, So I think it suited the period. It suited the time in which the film was made. And that's how films were made back then. Scarface. I mean, you could say the same about Scarface and, and the way Michelle Pfeiffer's character was shot. And she was incredibly gorgeous and beautiful and... Um, intentionally shot to show that off. I mean, I'll never forget that elevator scene where that character is introduced when she comes down, arms up, and that slinky dress down in the elevator. Hey, it worked. Um, You know, it worked. And, um, yeah, I think there's more consciousness now around kind of how certain things are shot, whether that's a, a gender thing or a cultural thing or an identity thing. Um, but I hope that we can st- – I don't think we'll ever lose the good old-fashioned storytelling that uh, everyone can relate to, regardless of, of gender or creed or culture, that just good old-fashioned 101 storytelling that's got a, a strong beginning, middle, and an end. Um, because I think, it, you know, we, we can't stifle the artist in terms of, like, they've, they've got to have the courage to kind of – have that boldness to do something that's very different. 
Um, but yeah, we live in a very different world now. I mean, God, the seventies. I remember. I remember. You know, they were a very different time. The seventies. Now, and you're right about that whole teenage thing. I mean, now it's kind of like an issue, but back then it wasn't really. And and maybe that's just. Well, I was naive, I guess. We we're all naive when we're teenagers. We, yeah, don't kind of really know about these things. So we get older and then we look back and go, God, you know, wow. You know, I think for a lot of people, they look back and go, God, I didn't realize how hot I was at the time because we're so obsessed with the pimple on our chin. (laughs) 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 Or the the self-consciousness or the awkwardness and feeling goofy and gooey and insecure. It's, It's really, as I say, it's the one phase of life I would not want to go through again. I'll never forget that moment where I I just woke up and I looked in the mirror and I saw this pimple. My whole world changed. My whole world changed. I had no concept of that. So, um, and you know, did the director intentionally... Well, I think it is part of an intentional part of the story. I mean, you're setting up a high school. Every high school film from what I've seen of high school films, you got to have the gorgeous, good-looking girls and boys. It kind of works, you know, It that's just how it, it's been done. And will that change? Probably not. I mean, that kind of says maybe a lot about us as a society. We, we want to go and watch good-looking guys and girls on our screens. I think part of it too might be, uh, you know, just how I might have changed as a viewer too. Because I got to admit, you know, when I first saw the movie, I was probably 15. So, you know, watching a movie where, you know, the opening or rather the second shot is, you know, this uh, sort of long slow motion shot through like a, a locker room where, you know, there's like full frontal nudity in that. You know, I don't think it, you know, I'm, I'm a 15 year old watching what is presumably 16 or 17 year old characters and, is, you know, being a, young man, I was just like, yeah, I did not mind that at all. And yet now as a nearly 40 year old guy, when I watch that movie, I'm just kind of like, Oh, that's a, that's not, that's a little icky, you know, <laughs> like what, what's happening right now. And, you know, it, I, I agree. The setting is surely important to the story, but you know, when I think, and I didn't particularly care for the remake that came out in 2013, but I did think the right decision was made in choosing a female director to tell that story. And, you know, that is something that is not in the locker room, you know, sequence. It is carefully framed in such a way that, you know, we don't have these sort of, again, exploitative like shots of, you know, young nude women, but, you know, and so I don't know. I, that's just something that kind of struck me a bit strange this time around. And yeah, things something have that made me changed. Things, yeah, <laughs> things have changed. But I think if if my memory might serve me, I think it had a restriction on it. Uh, was it an R16 or an R18, Carrie, when it first came out? Uh, it is R, R. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was restricted. So, it, you know, because I, I remember thinking, going into the cinema, thinking, oh, I'm underage because it was another film that I went into and I was underage. But that film was kind of another horror film, which they did a recent remake. But I don't kind of really bother watching remakes if the classic, if the original was what I'd rather remember. Unless everyone says, hey, you know, it's you got to see it. But this other horror one I saw and I remember sneaking into the cinema because it was restricted. But it was about 
people had gone on to a hunting or camping trip and the targets were human beings. I think they've recently done a remake of that. I can't remember what it was called, but God, that scared the life out of me. Uh, but there you go. So I would go and see horror, but it's, yeah, I didn't necessarily en enjoy such high anxiety or not being able to go to sleep at night, but horror definite, definitely has a, an incredibly important uh, place in our, our world as storyteller. I mean, God, what would it look like if we didn't have horror movies, if we didn't have aliens or we didn't have Carrie or The Shining or... Um, there's a lot of classics when we think about those ones that kind of crossed over, you know, and ones that, that won Oscars, Misery, and uh, Carrie must have won a few Oscars as well, I'm sure. You know, I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, speaking of horror, I know that we are limited on time, but I did want to chat about, you know, for a moment, if that's okay, about your upcoming uh, horror thriller, I believe, Without a Body, if you wouldn't mind terribly. What can you tell us about the movie and your role in it? Absolutely. And just to finish off that, yeah, Carrie did get nominated for Best Actress. Oh, uh, nice. Sissy Spacek and also Piper Laurie got Best Actress in a supporting role. It got Golden Globe um, nominees uh, for director and it won a bunch of awards at various uh, – uh, it won the National Society of Film Critics Award for Sissy Spacek, the New York Film Critics. So, yeah, it did get its fair share of awards. Um, but, yes, to Without a Body, which is, I'm sure it's maybe in the package that it was originally called a somatus, and a somatus being a word that means without a body. And, uh, you know, a clever story in terms of, God, of yeah, I guess there's no way of of talking about it without giving away the story, but it basically is about a guy, a man, uh, with two young daughters. One's a teenager and the other's about, say, playing six to eight. And clearly there's a wife somewhere because he has, you know, he has thoughts about the wife. So we find out that the wife has passed away and this is a guy who's a writer and is writing a horror novel. Uh, so he's on purpose come to write this novel called Asomatus. Um, We know that the house is haunted uh, because there's just kind of yucky horror things going on, like twins popping up or this character I play, Medea, this kind of old ancient character kind of popping up out of nowhere. And the young daughter finds an imaginary friend and um, it's literally, it's the unraveling of this house. And there's a neighbor that he befriends. Well, she comes over um, and befri befriends him and says, you do realize that the history of this house is that it was haunted and that a very normal couple and a young father and husband killed his entire family. And uh, th that was the last family to to live in the house before he moves in. So as the story unwinds and the, uh, you know, the horror elements go down and the children become very scared, um, you know, you find out the twist in the film. So I'm just reading here right now on International Movie Database what it says. After moving into a rundown farmhouse with his two daughters, a skeptical author 
seeks to uncover a sinister past that haunts the house and terrorizes his family. That's actually a really great description of that's exactly what the movie's about. Um, and I don't know if I should give away the twist. It might oh, please, people. please don't. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, because... No, no, no. I will, no. Uh, I will absolutely... I'm certain that myself and my uh, listeners will seek it out. So, yes, we will uh, We'll discover the twist on our own. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of... Um, you know, I take my hat off to the cast and crew. Um, for anyone, really, who works, uh, you know, on independent film films here, here and not just here in L.A., but around the world, it's, you know, you, you're really up against it in terms of resources and the lack of budget. And you can only do what you can do with the limited time frame. And, and it's what you call the ultra-low ultra, ultra low budget movies. And that's all that seems to get made in L.A. now is ultra-low budgets. Um, you know, studio movies, uh, they still get made, but, you know, basically the, the backbone of the industry is in your, is in your indies. And so, you know, I, I applaud the, the producers and the writers and the director for actually getting this film made because it's, it's, no, it's no easy feat to get a, a feature film made. Now, when can we uh, keep an eye out for this? When is it due, uh, due out? Is it going like, uh, will it be VOD or, you know, is it, yeah. I, I, I only ask VOD because theatrical isn't really an option in the world we live in right now, but. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. And they, you know, the producers had really dearly hoped um, for a theatrical release, but then of course COVID happened and no movies, well, very, very few movies actually even going to get a theatrical release. So it's available. It's absolutely available now on, on, um, a video on demand and it's on multiple platforms but you can get it on itunes um gosh i need to bring up the list here uh to tell your listeners sorry i should have had this right in front of me no you're fine i'll tell you what i will do a bit of research on it too and i will include it in our show notes so all of you listeners out there if you're curious about where to check out the film make certain to check out our show notes and i will include a listing of all the places that you can seek it out at That'd be great. And I think that they were meant to send you the trailer. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we will link that on the page, too. That would be very cool to see. I have not seen that yet. So, uh, you know, I'm actually looking for a movie to watch this evening, especially with it being all dark and stormy out. I need a good scary movie. So I think well, I'm going to watch yeah, that this evening. It's exactly a good night to, when, you know, you don't really want to go out there into the rain. But um, absolutely a, a good night to, to watch that and see what you make of it. And, of course... Hopefully it'll make you jump here and there. And um, I did ask the publicist to forward you the trailer. And um, I'll also, I'm sorry, I really should have had it in front of me. And I thought I did for some reason. It's one of those emails where you suddenly you thought you had it and then suddenly you can't find it. <laughs> but it's, it's on all of the, the, the usual platforms for video on demand. And it's like most uh, Amazon, I think. Um, iTunes, it's like you, you have the option of four ninety nine, five ninety nine, or I did the nine ninety nine because I wanted to download and keep the movie, so I didn't mind paying the ten bucks. Very cool. All right, hey, I think we are approaching the end of our time. Can I ask before we go? Do you have any final parting thoughts on Carrie? Gosh. Oh, what would I say about Carrie? 
Well, I just think we live in a very different world now, and uh, we, I think we're more aware of the power of choices. And I think we definitely live in a community and society that's more anti-bullying and aware of bullies. And and so I, I really think the message now, the common message now, is to those that have been found themselves at the end of, of bullies is that, you know, it's well touted now that you get bullied because you're unique and you're special. So just dare to be different and just be the best you and stuff bullies. Uh, bullies don't last for life. They don't. Mine certainly didn't. Um, and so just be different. If you're different, uh, that's great because then you've got something different to offer to the world and um, just don't hurt anybody and don't hurt yourself and um, be your unique and original self and go out and make great horror films. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is the perfect note to leave off on. Thank you so much for being on the show and for choosing such a great movie to talk about. Oh, you're very welcome. Now, before we go, can I ask, where can folks find you at online? And uh, otherwise, what else can we keep an eye on for from you in the future? Uh, three things. I'm on, uh, firstly, I'm on Instagram as my main platform, and it's Rena, R-E-N-A-O-W-E-N, Rena Owen, and look for the blue tick. Um, and what I like about Instagram is you can share there, and then it goes across three platforms to Facebook and to Twitter, and you don't get caught in a rabbit hole. Um, so Instagram, at Renner Owen, look for the blue tick. Uh, secondly, you can see me in without the, in this horror film, Without a Body. You can see me currently in Siren, season one, season two, and season three that are available on demand on Freeform and on Hulu. And also, what another show that I'm in that's also on Hulu is uh, Seth MacFarlane's Orville. Uh, that used to be on Fox, but it got bought by Disney. So now The Orville is on Hulu. And I did a horror thriller miniseries last year called The Gloaming. That's another horror. We might have to talk about that one, Jason. It's not It's not on uh, Hulu yet, but it will be very soon. But that's another horror uh, genre and I play I play one of the evil characters. Oh, I actually play the one of the evil characters and without a body, but I play an even worse evil character in the gloaming. Yeah, so I'm writing this it, down to check it out. <laughs> yeah, when you get to watch that one, we may have to talk again anytime. It'll be my pleasure, and it's a pleasure to speak with you, Jason, uh, and have a have a great weekend and be safe and stay well. Thank you so much. And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Give us a yell on Facebook or Twitter. That's at Screamatics, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend. That the lady is me in the photograph I'm afraid Cause it feels too good Get out of here. Go on, right <laughs> now.